The story of Jesus' birth, what has been called the nativity story, is one of the most familiar stories in all of Christianity. It certainly is also familiar to many others that are not believers around the world. We see nativity scenes around Christmas time. We see a lot of things that bring to memory uh, the birth of Jesus in this world. And we certainly believe very strongly as believers that if the shepherds and the magi and others could celebrate the birth of Jesus, we can as well. Last week, we looked at the Isaiah birth announcement of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9. We said it's one of several other nativity stories, several other birth stories of Jesus that are found outside the Gospels. And today we examine Revelation 12, and we consider what really happened in Matthew 2 with Herod's obsession to have the baby Jesus killed. As we read this story, we are in horror that someone like Herod could have such control and such power that he could destroy people who are less than two years old. It's a tragic story. I want us to look at Matthew 2 first to get the background for what is going on. So we're going to talk about the Christmas story as we know it from Matthew 2. So here's what's happened as we read earlier at the beginning of our service. Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. We know that King Herod was a paranoid king. He was a brilliant architect. He was a brilliant builder of palaces and other things all over the land of Israel. But he was always worried about his own safety and always worried about plots that might be in place to kill him. And so he built the Herodium. He built the palace out at Masada. He built the palace up in Caesarea Maritime. So all of this occurred around the time and just before the time of Jesus' birth. And what happens in this story, there are these magi, these wise men from the ancient Near East, maybe up toward where Syria and Iraq and other parts of the Middle East are today. They came from that area and they came to Jerusalem, which was a long, long journey. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now imagine what this is going to stir up. First of all, Herod is really concerned about anyone being called the king of the Jews. He's been placed by the Roman authorities there as a king of that area to take care of things, to make sure everything is in order. And also the people. Imagine the people when these men from way far away that they've never heard of come into town and start asking questions like this. The natural response is going to be that people are confused and disturbed and riled up, you know. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod was pretty familiar with a lot of Jewish customs and a lot of Jewish teaching, but for this point, he needed to go to the experts. And these people were the religious experts, you might say, the religious leaders of their day. And they tell him, as the prophet said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what was written in the prophets in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So there is no doubt that the prophet said a great one is going to arise and he's going to arise from Bethlehem. But they just didn't believe that it was going to be at this moment in time and in the way that it happens. 
So Herod calls the Magi in and he has a heart to heart with him. He says, you know what? I want you to go over there and I want you to search out and I want you to find this baby. And when you find him, you come back and tell me so I can go over there and worship him too. We know, of course, that this is not at all what Herod is up to. Herod, as we said, was paranoid. He didn't want anyone else challenging his authority. So they hear the king, they go on their way, they continue to look for this star, this, this, this uh, point in the sky that can guide them to where they need to go. And when they find the place where the child is, they were, as the Bible says, overjoyed. Imagine now a long, long, long journey for one purpose, and now finding out that what you thought was true is in fact true. And they find this baby and they do what everybody does in the presence of deity. They bowed and they worshiped him. And they bring these extremely expensive gifts that they give to Jesus. But then as this is happening and as they're resting, getting ready for another part of their journey, maybe thinking about going back to Herod, they have a dream, and in that dream, they are warned of what Herod is up to. And so they return to their country by another route. At the same time, while these magi are being warned and are fleeing in another way to get away from Herod, Joseph also has a dream. And in his dream, the angel or the messenger says to him, you need to take Mary, you need to take Jesus, and you need to flee to Egypt. You need to, to go to Egypt. And so it's kind of interesting that in this sort of story, Jesus becomes a refugee of sorts. He becomes an immigrant of sorts, even while he is a baby. So he, they go over to Egypt and he says, I want you to stay there until Herod dies. And that's what they did because he was searching to kill him. So they take the child, they go to Egypt and notice the Bible says what they did was to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son, quoting from Jeremiah 31. In the meantime, Herod realizes that he has been outwitted by these magi. And imagine the fury, the furor, the anger that Herod has about what has happened. And so what does he do? He gives orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity that are two years old. Now we read the nativity story and we think of it as being Jesus was born, a month or so later he's off to Egypt. Not so. They were in Bethlehem quite a long time, up to two years. And that's we know this because Herod wanted to make sure that he had the child taken care of out of his way. And so he has all of these children murdered just because of his own ego and his own insane paranoia. And then the Bible says what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. There are people in our own church that have lost dear loved ones that were children. And what a tragic thing it is. What a terrible thing it is. But to happen in this way that's so unnecessary and that is, that is so murderous just seems to be uh, unbelievable. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn over to Revelation and what we want to do today, so to speak, is to pull the curtain back. And we want to see behind the curtain in the Christmas story. You know, in the story of the Wizard of Oz, there is this so-called wizard who is able to give people these unbelievable gifts, you know. And we, we see in the story these three 
individuals that are trying to get special gifts, you know, from this special, uh, from this man who has these unbelievable abilities. But as the story unfolds, we discover that behind the curtain, there is a man, a human being who is making these claims and that is, is, is operating all the equipment that makes him appear as a figure that is larger than life. So what we're doing today is we're going to have the truth revealed by moving the curtain back and looking at Revelation 12. Now, there are several ways that Revelation 12 can be unfolded. There are several ways, there are several meanings and interpretation that fit deep into this chapter. But one of those, it's what's going on in Matthew 2. Now, pay close attention. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Revelation is what has been called apocalyptic literature. And that means there's great number of symbols and, and, and things that are used in the, in the text to indicate other things that are going on in the story. And so John writing this letter that's given to him by God to, to be passed along to the seven churches, he says, I saw this, this sign in heaven and this woman that's there was pregnant and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. One of the ideas that comes out of Revelation 12 is that this is Mary giving birth to Jesus. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. We find out here that Herod's murderous plot really was not just in the heart of Herod, but it was driven by Satan himself. He was the one who wanted to destroy this baby. Satan himself, the evil one, the red dragon here as he's portrayed, he knew what would happen if Jesus came into the world. We don't realize that the temptations of Jesus is not the first time that Satan tries to derail Jesus, tries to stop the plan of God to save all humankind. It starts even at the birth of Jesus. He's standing by there with Herod's sword in his hand, wanting to take care of this baby. And it says that what he wanted to do was to devour her child the minute he was born. This again is a symbol of reference of what is going on in Matthew 2. So behind the scenes of Jesus' birth, there is a great spiritual struggle that is going on in the story. Something that we don't see just by the physical ailments or the physical elements that are in the story in Matthew 2. But in fact, Mary gives birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This is again speaking from the prophetic voice. Remember we read just a few minutes ago from Matthew that he's going to be a shepherd for all of Israel. He's going to be a ruler of all of Israel. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, flash forwarding, looking down the road to when the, the uh, resurrection occurs. And so this woman flees into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God that she might be cared for for 1260 days. We know the Exodus story of Jesus. They leave Bethlehem. They go to Egypt to escape the sword of Herod, to escape the peril that Herod had. And at the same time, the Bible says here again, looking behind the scenes, then war broke out in heaven. The birth of Jesus brought about a war, a spiritual battle. 
And Michael and his angels, Michael is the archangel, one of the leaders of the angels, fought against the dragon, the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. So remember Jesus even says in his, his ministry, his lifetime, that I saw falling from heaven. You remember that story? Well, this is a flashback to that story where Michael and his angels are fighting and the evil ones are fighting against God. And the great dragon is hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So in this battle for what is right and wrong, even at the time of Jesus coming into the world, behind the scenes, there is this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare that is going on. We need to understand, my brothers and sisters, that what we're experiencing in this world, what's going on with us, it's what we can see. But behind the scenes of what's going on with us, there is this continued battle between God and Satan. We see it scattered throughout the Bible. We see it in Adam and Eve. We see it in the story of Job. We see it all over scripture where Satan is trying to foil the plans of God to keep God from doing what he's determined to do. And that is to save us through Jesus Christ, his son. Then John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. So just as the prophet said, speaking in a authoritative voice for God, what's going to happen is this Messiah is going to come. Jesus is going to come into the world and there is going to be a great revelation of God's final plan. And that plan is to defeat the evil one and to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ, his son. And only those that are in the kingdom of God will survive. All other kingdoms will be destroyed. All other kingdoms will be annihilated in the end and only God's will stand. Notice, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Every day of the week, the evil one is trying to find a way to invade your life. He's trying to find a way even to convince you that you're no good. The way you live in your life, trying to live your life for God, it's not going to work. You're never going to make it. All those failures you have in your life, the evil one, Satan's trying to remind you of that. His very name means deceiver. And he's always trying to deceive you and to make you think that you're something other than what you are. He wants you to believe that you are a sinner doomed for failure rather than one that is saved by the grace of God. And so even as this story is unfolding, Satan is looking at the children of God, the brothers and sisters that belong to God's family, and he's trying to bring accusation after accusation. Remember he told God when he spoke about Job, no wonder he believes in you. You've built a hedge around him. You've protected him. You've kept him from experiencing any bad thing. Take that hedge away and let me see what I can do. And the devil, no doubt, every day is trying that with everyone, especially those that are strong in their faith. He's working more and more, using more and more of his power to try to bring us down. But look at this. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In the book of Revelation, we have this picture of martyrs these people who gave their life for the cause of Christ. 
So here are people who value the kingdom of God, who value their eternal destiny, who value being faithful to God much more than even their own lives. Because Jesus said, who do you want to put your trust in? Someone who can destroy the body or someone who can destroy both body and soul in hell? Now, what, that's, that seems to be an obvious answer, right? But at the same time, every day that we live, we forget. We get caught up in what we can see here and fail to realize that behind the scenes, there is this great struggle that's going on for life and limb, for spiritual existence by the evil one and, and God who's trying to protect us. Therefore, verse 12, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That is so very true. Compared to eternity, his time is so short. The time he has to try to move us from the kingdom of God, either back into the world or to keep us in the world, that's his whole goal. Whereas God's intention is to save us. And look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. So even when Jesus escapes over into Egypt and even when Jesus returns to and has a home in Nazareth, the evil one is still trying as much as he can to keep him from fulfilling his purpose to go to the cross and to save the world. That's what happens in the temptation. That's what happens with all those rulers that are trying to find Jesus in a contradiction. That is the evil one working. So let's not be deceived as we read the Gospels and as we think about our own life and our existence in this world. It is not just about what we see and feel and touch and taste here. There is something far greater, and it is of high spiritual significance, and it's going on behind the curtain of what's happening in, 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 the, in this world. Verse 14, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, we think in Egypt where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the servant's reach. Then from his mouth the servant spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and to sweep her away in a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's command, and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Today, I dare say that most of us have never considered that this nativity story, this story of the birth of Jesus that we paint in such vivid colors and we paint in such peaceful colors and we make it to be so very appealing, I think that most of us have not stopped to realize that that story of Jesus coming into the world included in it a grand battle that's going on in the spiritual realm. And it's still going on today. I think at this time of the year, when we come to this season of the year, certainly we want to think about God bringing peace to, to those of us on the earth, goodwill among people of the earth. But we also have to realize that this world as it is now is not intended to continue that this world filled with all the evil that's in it is not intended to continue as it is. God wants to restore and recreate his world in a way as he intended in the beginning, where sin does not reign, where people serve and worship God alone, 
and where all of those things like the Satan and his evil minions no longer exist. And here, though, we find out the battle is still going on. Those of us that are believers, we have to remember in this Christmas season that just as much as we appreciate the beauty of Mary bringing Jesus into the world, we need to realize that it has far more significance than just the Savior of the world being born. It has it reminds us that there is also an intense battle struggle for the existence of spiritual values. It's a battle for morality. As we said last week, brute force is not the most powerful force on the world. Moral character is the most powerful force on the world. So as Jesus is born into the world, we are reminded of this prophetic vision of him coming we're reminded of the story of the shepherds and the Magi and Mary and Joseph there in Bethlehem and the beauty of the shepherds and the Magi coming and offering their praise and their worship and their gifts. But we're also reminded of the tragic things that are going on behind the scene. How intent Satan is because, as the Bible says, his time is short to destroy us. So at this season of the year, during this Christmas season, it should be an opportunity for us to, uh, to, to be revived, for us to revive that moral courage that's down inside of us, for us to make a recommitment that we are going to live as this new year starts for God. It is a reminder that all the things that we may value in this world, those presents that we may receive at Christmas that we forget before a month or so passes, all of those things that we own, everything in this world is very, very, very minimal, very much lacking in importance compared to this great story of salvation that God is working. It's far important, more important for us to value our faith and our trust in God than it is to value even our own bodies. And Jesus presses this hard in the Gospels. He presses it hard in his life that we trust in the Father who created us and made us rather than in the things that give satisfaction to us personally, rather than those lusts and, and those appetites that we're always wanting fulfilled. We must put our faith and our trust in God. I really love this season of the year. I love the songs that we're singing today. I love the songs that we sing in our live service about the beauty of this time of year. But pay more closely, pay more closer attention, pay closer attention is what I'm trying to say, to those lyrics of those songs that we sing. And see how it is that even in the lyrics of the songs, it tells the story of what God is trying to do, to defeat death and sin and to raise up to life, all of those of us who once lived in darkness. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're eternally grateful for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that every day there is an ongoing spiritual battle behind the scenes to try to win the hearts and lives of people. Lord, defeat the, battle, the evil that's in this world. Defeat the evil that Satan wants to bring against us and help to strengthen and lift us up in our faith so that we might trust you rather than the things that are in the world. We thank you for, for Jesus. We thank you for Mary that brought him to life. Uh, we thank you for Joseph that, that took Mary in and became her husband. Uh, we thank you for the shepherds and the magi and all that are involved in this story. And we thank you for this book of Revelation where John helps us to see behind the scenes of the story of Jesus' birth. 
Bless us this day. Give us faith. Strengthen us. Forgive us where we have need to be forgiven. We pray through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.